today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Things that have no real impact on eternity. Things of this world and not of the next that, that gather men's attention, that gather men's focus. As Jesus left the temple after teaching and ministering to the people, some of his followers, again, they got so entranced by something that was man-designed, man-made. And Jesus reminded them very quickly that all of these things are soon going to be done away with. So where is your focus going to be? The temple that Herod built was a marvelous feat of human engineering and architecture. It would rival iconic monuments of today. Even as they walked beside the creator of the universe, the disciples couldn't help but be captivated by his grandeur. As Pastor David continues to lead us through the book of Luke, the words of Jesus draw us back into reality. We are reminded that even the most concrete structures of our day some having been around for ages, are still only temporary. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, Temporary Distractions. It's also intriguing for us today. We await that fulfillment of, of Jesus' promises that, hey, I, I'm going to come again. I'm going to receive you to myself. I may be going right now, but I'm going to come again. We look forward to that. We ought to be looking forward to that. If you're not looking forward to that, you know what the problem is? You have too much of a firm hold on this terra firma. You have way too much hold on these temporary things if you're not looking forward and hastening the day of the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As I've, I've shared with you before, that we could probably draw a very full crowd if we advertise throughout the city and on the radio station that over the next few weeks we're going to be speaking about the second coming of Christ. Why? Because... People are interested in that. They're, they're, if, if nothing else, they're downright curious about it. I've heard those church people talk about the second coming of Jesus for years and years. Let's go see what they have to say. They may not even be born again. They may not even know the Lord, but just out of curiosity, they want to come in and find out what this is all about. But I just want to let you know, we're not going to advertise it, okay? But we are going to be taking more than a couple of weeks as we go through this section of Scripture, speaking of the words of Jesus uh, in all three of these Gospel accounts, as well as some of the words that he speaks to them in the Gospel of John. Also, as we go back in the Old Testament, we see some of the Old Testament prophets declaring and speaking about his second coming. And then we'll also be looking at the book of Revelation that, again, shows us very clearly the fulfillment of those words 
words of yet is of what is yet to take place. So all of these things are going to be coming together and trying to put them together in some kind of an understandable format so that you and I hopefully will get excited that yes, soon and very soon we're going to see the king. Maranatha Again, that Aramaic, uh, Syriac word meaning coming soon or he is coming. So again, Maranatha, he is coming. I, I don't know if that's the theme the Lord wants me to give this entire year or not, but I know that's the theme we're starting with this year. And uh, I, I don't think that that's a bad theme at all. So we're not going to advertise it, but if you want to advertise it, if you want to tell a neighbor or a friend or a loved one, hey, you know, over these next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about the second coming of Jesus and Maybe in some of your conversations with friends or neighbors, you've touched on that and maybe not been able to fully uh, give them a, a complete understanding of it. Invite them to, to come and share in this time together. Well, as I, I shared with you at the offset of this, we're going to be focusing in uh, primarily because we're going through the book of Luke, chapter uh, through the book of Luke, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we're now in Luke chapter 21. Primarily, we're going to be focusing in on verses 5 through 38, but again, we're going to be bringing in stuff from Matthew and Mark as we go in, uh, as we go through this. Uh, now, the event that seems to initiate this teaching time that Jesus is going to give about his second coming was the reaction that some of his followers had to, to the beauty and the splendor of the temple there in Jerusalem. If you remember much about, uh, again, the, the history of, of, of the word or the history of the Jews, you know that at this point in time, the temple there in Jerusalem that was absolutely so splendidly, majestically beautiful is what we call Herod's temple. It's also called the second temple. And um, again, we, we see the situation of what's going on here as they leave the temple area and the attention that some of his disciples draw to it. We see, in essence, the same wording, the same situation, almost word for word in both Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So here in Luke, beginning in verse 5, we read this. And then, as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, Jesus said, these things which you see, the days will come in in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. There's a day coming that everything that you see here is going to be taken down. Remember, as I said earlier, it's all temporary. But Jesus is talking about this temple. He said there's a day coming that this temple, everything that you see, there's not going to be left one stone upon another. Uh, uh, the only difference or additions that we find from Matthew's gospel or Mark's gospel is very small. Matthew says that it's his disciples that came up to show him the buildings of the temple. Mark tells us that actually one of his disciples said to him, teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. Uh, whereas Luke says uh, some spoke of the temple. So again, rather one disciple started it, and again it, it began uh, as several others joined in. We don't know, but according to each one of the gospel records, there's no doubt that these followers were absolutely totally enamored by the beauty of the temple, and, and rightly so. All of its beauty, all of its decorations, 
Why wouldn't they be? According to some records of the time, it, it could have been considered as one of the seven wonders of the world at that point in time because of its beauty. Let me give you a little bit of background on this. And I know that we've touched on it before, but let me uh, share with you once again, just so you can understand the, the attraction of this to these disciples. Now, don't forget also that all those the, many of these disciples had probably taken a pilgrimage journey down to Jerusalem uh, multiple times throughout their lives. By and large, these guys were Galileans that had begun following Jesus from up in Galilee and were now down in Jerusalem. And so they come, and just the beauty and the splendor of this temple is just overwhelming. The original temple, the first temple, that was built, remember, by King Solomon, the, the son of uh, King David. It was one of the most elaborate decorated buildings in the world at its time. And however, during the, the Babylonian invasion around 586, 587 BC, the Babylonians came in, they destroyed the temple and most of Jerusalem and the wall that surrounded Jerusalem. All of that had been knocked down, totally destroyed. It was left in a big pile of debris. Now, that was done purposefully by the Babylonians to break the spirit of the Jewish people, to break the spirit of those that they had conquered. They just wiped out everything that meant anything to them. You can look and we see the devastations that have happened in people's lives over the years. I think back because I was looking at a, uh, or watching a, a video on, on some information about uh, the Hurricane Katrina down in Louisiana. Uh, absolute devastation. Homes, businesses, everything that people owned was suddenly just all taken away, and, and how devastating that was, how heartbroken that was. Well, the, 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 the Babylonians understood that when you came in and conquered a people, if you would take their primary worship center, if you took the things that they counted as special and, and as important in their lives, if you did away with that, you would break the heart of the people. So that's what they did. And then some 70 years later, after being in captivity for 70 years, the Lord allowed such men as Ezra and Jerubbabel and Haggai and Nehemiah, along with a host of other workers, to be able to come back to Jerusalem to, be, uh, to begin a, a rebuilding program. First of all, they started rebuilding the temple, and then the wall, and then the city, and then finally getting back to finish the wall. You can read through Ezra and Nehemiah to get a closer understanding of all of those things and all the struggles of that time. Well, as they rebuilt the temple with the time, the resources, and the labor that they had at that point in time, after being 70 years in captivity, well, the finished product was a whole lot smaller than Solomon's temple, and it was nowhere near as ornate or as beautiful as Solomon's temple was. It was pretty much inferior in every way. And this is what the Jews had to worship in and to offer their sacrifices for the next 500 years until the Romans came. The Romans came in and they set up Herod as the, as the authority or the rule over the area of Judah. And Herod wanted to leave a, a legacy behind himself. He knew himself that eventually he would die. He would pass on into eternity. He wanted to leave some kind of a legacy. So he began this enormous building campaign all throughout Judea. As they came through, uh, he, he began working and building on the Jews' temple. 
Well, for a couple of reasons. Number one, to please the Jews because he was the authority over them, but also as part of his living legacy. Well, uh, according to Flavius Josephus, as Herod began these building projects, he paid for them through heavy taxes. So I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to build you this beautiful temple. Oh yeah, but by the way, you're paying for it. So I don't know how, how much it pleased the Jews at that point. But all of these magnificent construction projects built by Herod during that time, of all of these, most people say that his masterpiece was the Jewish temple there in Jerusalem. And that project in particular actually began around 20 BC, and it wasn't completed until by his son, after Herod the Great died, his son Herod uh, finished it up by AD 63, 80 years to finish this project. Now, not to belabor the point, but just to help you to see the beauty of this and the majesty of this build. Again, according to Josephus, some of the stones that made up the temple and the walls that surrounded the temple weighed well over 100 tons. The largest of them measuring 44 and a half feet long by 11 feet high by 16 and a half feet wide or deep. Again, weighing itself, they, they believe somewhere between 567 to 628 tons. Now that's enormous. How do you move all that? Well, the same way those with the, that did the pyramids. Again, the labor, the ingenuity, all that was there. Now, that was the largest. There was average range of the stones were about 15 feet in length, but that was still a big stone. The exterior of the temple itself was covered with polished white slabs of stone, giving it the illusion of being snow-capped from the distance. So as you were traveling to Jerusalem, even during the summertime, once you got a view of the temple from where you were, Herod's temple looked like it was snow-capped and just absolutely beautiful. The massive size, the beauty of the architecture, the detail of hammered gold all around it, the polished stone, all of it very appealing to the eye of the beholder. And no wonder the disciples wanted to bring it to the attention of the master. They had been in the temple ministering through that entire time. Now they come out and they say, wow, isn't this magnificent? You have to get the irony of it all. Who are they walking with? <laughs> Jesus who created the heavens and the earth, who created all that we see in the expanse of the universe. By him all things were made, and there was nothing made that wasn't made without him. Wow, Lord, look what man can do. It's like telling your child when he brings up a little drawing to you. Isn't this beautiful? Yes, it is. It's the most precious thing I've ever seen. Jesus brought reality back to his disciples, though. Because even with all of the splendor, the temple was simply a temporary symbol of a greater and an eternal temple that was yet to be. That temporary temple, that one in Jerusalem, that was doomed to be completely destroyed now for the second time. And that's why Jesus said what he said. These things which you see 
The days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. You know what? The other two Gospels agree, like I said, almost word for word. And history agrees with what Jesus says, pretty much word for word. The time here is about 33 AD as Jesus is having this discussion with his disciples. In less than 40 years, in fact, about 35 years, the Jews began an, an uprising. This is after the death, burial, and resurrection and the ascension of Christ. He's gone up into to heaven to be with the Father. The disciples now are trying to figure out uh, how to live this life called Christianity among their Jewish culture. So there's this intermingling of, of Judaism and Christianity that's, that's going there, uh, being a part of it. Uh, there, there was a spreading of the gospel now into other areas as the church was growing as we read in the early chapters of the book of Acts. All of these things happening. Well, about go back to this discussion of Jesus at, with his disciples on that afternoon, that evening. We realize that 35 years later, this Jewish uprising comes against the Romans. They're, they're absolutely tired. They're, they're fed up with the oppression of the Romans. So in A.D. 68, the Jews began a revolt against the Romans. The Romans put up with it for about two years, and in 70 A.D., Titus, with about three or four legions of the Roman army, come against the Jews, and as they come against the Jews, uh, through a whole series of events, which we won't get into here, they actually burn the temple completely, and then because of all the gold that's found within the temple, the Roman soldiers began knocking it down in order to be able to secure all the gold that had run in between the cracks and the crevices of all of the stones of the temple. Once they started that, it became almost a, an escalation of, of, of the destruction of not only the temple and the temple mount and, and Jerusalem. But again, they just absolutely devastated it till it came to the point that Almost literally, not one stone was left upon another. A fulfillment of the words of Jesus within about 40 years. It's funny how we can get so caught up in the things of this life that are only so temporary. They looked at the majesty and the splendor of that temple with absolutely no idea in less than a generation, in 40 years, everything, the splendor, the beauty, the majesty, the, the, the pride as, as a Jew, as, as uh, that, man, this is ours. No other nation has anything as beautiful as this. And within 40 years, it'd be so devastated that you wouldn't even realize that anything had ever been there outside of the massive stones that had been rolled off and broken as they roll them off the, the temple mountain down and crashing to the ground below. Things that have no real impact on eternity. Things of this world and not of the next that, that gather men's attention, that gather men's focus. As Jesus left the temple after teaching and ministering to the people, some of his followers, again, they got so entranced by something that was man-designed, man-made. And Jesus reminded them very quickly, 
that all of these things are soon going to be done away with. So where is your focus going to be? There's a tremendous amount of things and events and, and, and spectacular events and, and, and purposes and some of them good purposes and some of them righteous purposes and directions that, that we could get so involved in. But beloved, the, the fact is, is unless our focus primarily and initially and foundationally is set on our relationship with Jesus Christ, nothing else in this life that we can do will really amount to anything. You could be one that finds the cure for cancer. And oh man, man would applaud you. Nations around the world would hold you in great esteem. But outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, beloved, that's temporary. But for a moment, you heal people to live another 20, 30, 40 years, and everybody thinks that's absolutely marvelous. But what about eternity that waits before them? Jesus was going to go into detail of his second coming, of the fact that he is going to come again, and he wanted his followers, and he wants you and I to pay attention. Yeah, pay attention to the world that's around us but not get so caught up in the things of this temporary, of this mortal existence that we miss out on the things he desires to do in and through us that are going to impact eternity. Maybe for us, impact eternity. But you know what? Maybe the thing he wants to do through you and I in 2017 is going to impact somebody else for eternity and somebody else and somebody else. Because the life of Christ in you and I isn't meant to be lived in and of ourselves. It's, being, it, 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 it's designed, it's purposed to live for the glory of Christ to the dark and dying world that's around us. That's why he says you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. That's why he tells his disciples, man, one of his very last messages to his disciples is, as you go, make disciples, teaching them to observe all things, whatever I've commanded you to do. You see, that's what we're to be doing. We're to be shining for Christ. Not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Because I'm born again, the change of my life ought to make a difference to the people that I come in contact with every day. And when my attitude gets out of joint, and I don't know about you, but my attitudes get out of joint every once in a while. I need to be quick to remind myself, man, that's not the heart of Christ. That's not the attitude of my Jesus. And when my eyes begin to wander, or my heart begins to wander, or my feet begin to wander, I've got to stop and say, man, Lord, is this the path? Is this the direction? Or am I quiet enough from the loudness of the world to be able to hear the Spirit of God speak to me and say, no, this is the way, walk you in it, and to be found faithful to do that?
can all remember the marketing campaign, WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? While this became somewhat cliché, the concept behind it is crucial. In each and every circumstance, we need to consider not only what Jesus would do, but what He did do when He was here on earth. As Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke, we'll see exactly what Jesus did. We're sure today's message has been a blessing to you. Maybe you'd like to get a copy of today's message. Here's Tracy with all the information you need. Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor David, go to TheOpenWord.com and click on the Teachings page. Thanks, Tracy. Again, to secure your own copy of today's message, simply log on to TheOpenWord.com and select the Teachings page. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again, and may God richly bless you. small